Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. So we are in the fourth part of a five-part series called Grown Ups. Going from a childlike faith to a grown-up salvation. And where I came up with this series uh, was actually a conversation with a, with a pastor years and years ago. And he said that uh, they, they really put a lot of emphasis on the kids as a denomination. The denomination he was with, they really put a lot of emphasis on the kids and to raise up godly people. And so as a denomination, man, they were, they bought buses. I mean, they, they would do like the old snow. Did y'all have snow cone people where you grew up? Or is that just a Texas thing? The guy that drives around with a little horn, you know, playing the fur lease song, the McDonald's song or whatever, you go out there and get a snow cone. Well, I mean, like they were that. They would just drive up and down streets. Anybody could come. They'd pick you up. They'd take you home and everything like that. And so what they really were attempting is to raise up godly people instead of just going and dropping your kids off and then, you know, all of that. Well, that's a noble, amazing effort that they put forth. But what they figured out was when these little kids that they put so much effort into, what did they do? Did they keep going to church? No. When they had kids, they did exactly what their parents did. They didn't go to church. They went and dropped their kids off at church and came back. And, there's, and I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. It may not be the ideal situation, but I think what has happened with that is that there's a lot of grown-ups that remember a lot of stuff from their childhood, but Sometimes these old biblical stories, especially in the Old Testament, you know, I, I think they're kind of painted in the wrong picture because, you know, you, you can imagine in the first week we talked about creation and we talked about Cain and Abel and how Cain killed Abel and sacrifices. But we also learned that God says, I don't really want your sacrifice. A sacrifice is after you've messed on because I love King David. Okay, King David is, is one of my favorite people in the Bible. I cannot wait to meet him and shake his hand, hug his neck, or, or whatever the case may be whenever I get to heaven. Because as David was a man after God's own heart, I think he's a man after my own heart too. And I look to the life of David and a lot of the things um, that that I want to be. And so last week we talked about, thank you, honey. I'll just take this one. Um, still getting over being sick. I apologize. Um, so last week we talked about how David was chosen to be, uh, David was chosen to be king because Saul was the first king. God chose him. And Saul was told by God to go wipe out these people, right? All of them, men, women, children, babies, livestock, everything, right? 
And if you're wondering how could a loving God do that, you need to go back and watch that sermon or listen to it on the podcast or something because the reason for that will blow your mind and you will see just how loving God is with that. But then we talked about how when Saul didn't do what God told him, so God told Samuel, who is a prophet at the time, he is also the last judge. Now, what does that mean? That means that when the Israelites came from Egypt, they went into the promised land. It was just 12 tribes. There was no real national leader. I mean, Joshua led them in, but that doesn't make him president or anything like that all, all, over all these tribes. So anytime the nation of Israel needed somebody like that, God would raise up what's called a judge to lead all of Israel into battle and all of that. Some of the judges you might be familiar with, Gideon was a judge. Samuel was a judge. He was the last one. Here's the, probably the most famous judge, Samson. You know, the big strong guy with the long hair had trouble with girls. That was, that was a judge, right? And so, uh, anyway, so Saul messes up, tells Samuel, go choose the new king that I will show you. Now, that is important because the first time in Samuel's life as a judge or a prophet, God did not tell him specifically who it was. He said, he's a son of Jesse in Bethlehem. So Saul, uh, Samuel goes to Bethlehem, finds this guy named Jesse and says, God has revealed to me that one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. Bring them out. So he brings out all these sons. And the very first one, man, you know, he's like Thor, right? Big and buff, probably had long hair, you know. And he looked the part, right? He looked the part. And, and of course, Samuel's like, oh, there he is, oldest son. Because that's kind of a biblical thing, right? Oldest sons. And right before he could say anything, God said, that ain't him. That ain't him. And so they go down through there. But this is what God told Samuel when he looked at the oldest son and thought that that's who God wanted. This is how God stopped him from saying, yeah, you're the new king. God said this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll be to 24 in a minute. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Now he's talking about uh, Saul, but the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And you know, it, 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 it amazes me how much time and effort some people put into their appearance, and God doesn't care anything about that, man. He cares about what's on the inside. And, and we'll take that a step further, just so you know. Probably the most often asked question that a preacher gets, or conversation starter, or anything like that, is this. People say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And you know what my answer most of the time is? They don't like it, because I say, he doesn't care what you do. I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. We have freedom in Christ, but you have to understand we have freedom in Christ. So we have absolute freedom within this boundary box, right? Don't sin. So as long as you're not sinning, God doesn't really care what you do for a living. He doesn't care how you help people because he's less concerned about what you do and he's vastly more concerned are while you're doing that. 
So God looks at the heart. And so he goes through all of these and God never tells Samuel. And Samuel's kind of starting to freak out right? Because he's supposed to do a job. God has not revealed specifically who it is. So he finally says, is this all of them to Jesse? And he's like, well, for the most part, what do you mean the most part? I'm I'm paraphrasing. That's not in the Bible, but it's kind of the way the conversation sounds, right? And so he said, well, there is another one, but he's a scrawny runt out with the sheep. Samuel says, fetch him. And he doesn't let anybody, and I found this funny, they, Samuel doesn't let anybody sit down <laughs> until David gets there, right? And I don't know why, I just thought that was cool. But, uh, which by the way, I found out, speaking of my birthday, you know, I posted a little deal on, it says, the three wise men at Jesus is dealing. He's like, by the way, this is your birthday and Christmas, <laughs> right? So, uh, Willie's mom and I share the same birthday, and I found out yesterday she had a cure for that. They couldn't decorate for Christmas until after her birthday. <laughs> and I love that, by the way. But like, and I think that's kind of the way Samuel was. He's like, you know what? I told you to bring all of your boys here. You bought most of them, so you can't even sit down until that boy gets here. So finally, David gets there, and God's like, that's him. And so, you know, Samuel anoints him as king of Israel. But there's a problem. Saul is still king of Israel, right? And so that sets up the stage for when David defeats Goliath, okay? I I, I need you to, this is where the adult versions of the old children's Bible stories comes in. When David defeats Goliath, he has already been anointed king of Israel. So it was the king of Israel that defeated Goliath, not some little shepherd boy. He was a king of Israel. God was with him. And David, I love it when he went. We covered this last week. I'm just setting it up because it was supposed to be one sermon and now it's two. So I don't want you to forget what we talked about because it's important. But Saul says, why do y'all throw me some little lamb to slaughter? You know, you're disrespecting me, right? And then David says, you come at me with spear and shield, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heavens, armies, and the host, or the Lord of the host, or something like that. And I'm going to kill you and cut your head off, right? He was channeling Robert McLean right then, right? (laughs) I'll chop your head off, right? And the funny thing about it is, what happened? Exactly that, right? So, so we looked at how David was anointed king last week, right? But even though he's anointed king, Saul is still the king. And I've always found that kind of funny that it was kind of like a false monarch nearly. But I've, I've often wondered why God didn't tell Samuel to fire Saul, but he didn't for whatever reason. And so when David kills Goliath, Saul falls in love with David. David played the guitar, the Israelite guitar. I think it's called a harp. I call it a guitar. Um, David was really good at the guitar and he would have, David, Saul would have David just come in and just play for him, right? Just love him. And then, so because of that, Saul made David a commander in the army, and David started leading 
these forces out. Well, everybody started chanting when David would come back from victory because he never lost. He'd come back from victory and everybody would be, you know, uh, singing songs, I guess. Well, the favorite saying during this point in David's life was, David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed the ten thousands. Well, guess what? You got a little pride and jealousy starts to creep up on Saul, right? And so he starts trying to kill David, right? And so David just, just leaves, right? David's best friend is Saul's son, Jonathan, and they have a lot of escapades together and tomfoolery and really some Vikings type stuff that I just absolutely love. But uh, Saul starts trying to kill David because he finds out that Samuel has anointed David the next king. You know, one thing about kings is once you're a king, you don't want to give it up. And so Saul starts trying to rid Israel of the next king so that Saul can stay king, right? So one day David is running from Saul like he has been. There's been, I cannot tell you how many attempts on David's life. And David is at a place called En Gedi. And me and Ty and some of these others that have been to Israel and everything, we stood right there at En Gedi where the goats are, right? That's how you know it's a place and there's some springs and there's a bunch of caves actually what do you think it is, about 10 miles south of where the Dead Sea Scrolls were? It's right by the Dead Sea, okay? And so there's all these caves. So they, David and his men, which are called the Mighty Men, great, great study. But anyway, they're hiding in caves because Saul is with his army trying to find David and kill him. Well, it happens that the cave that David is hiding in, Saul went to use it as a latrine. And so why Saul, when Saul is in this dark cave, relieving himself, David's buddies, the commanders of his mighty men say, now's your chance. God has delivered him up to you. He's been trying to kill you, the false king. Take him out. Take him out. And in 1 Samuel 24, verse 6, this is what, David said, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. Man, I no wonder he was a man after God's own heart. He had every legal right to take the throne. He had the power to take the throne and he had the opportunity to seize the throne. And you know what he said? No, because God anointed Saul to be the first ever king of Israel. And despite how he treats me, he was still anointed by God and I will not lay a finger on him. Not out of respect for Saul, but out of respect for God. And I just absolutely love that. And, and, I, and I do need to, and I apologize last week, wherever, where are you, Tyler? Oh, there you are. Um, Tyler had been preaching on Sunday nights about the process. And whenever I was studying for this, uh, this sermon, 
That's kind of what I came up with. And I think it was Tyler's sermons that, that spurred me towards this. How, why is David a man after God's own heart? Because David wasn't perfect, and we'll cover that in just a minute, and you probably know what I'm talking about already. David was not perfect by any means. So what made him a man after God's own heart? Well, this is my explanation of that. And there's a lot of them. It's not the only explanation. It's just one of them. Because David trusted God implicitly. You see that in this scenario right here. He's not going to do anything to Saul because Saul is the anointed king of Israel by God, right? David trusted God's process, okay? He trusted the process. So what was the process in not killing Saul? Well, it is valid reasons, and this is what we can learn from this. Me and Rod had a long conversation about it yesterday. Valid reasons don't make good excuses for doing something wrong. I mean, David had every right to defend himself, even if it is the king of Israel. But the way he defended himself was by leaving so that he didn't get killed and still honoring Saul. But there's times in our lives that we know the right thing to do but because of some other reasons, we don't think that we have to do what God has called us or determined or something like that, right? Valid reasons don't make good excuses. And you know what? There might be a very, I mean, like if somebody's fixing to chop your head off, you need to defend yourself, right? That's a valid reason. But David was like, even though I have a valid reason for killing Saul or defeating him or something, I'm going to just leave until God hand. He's going to let God handle it. And coincidentally enough, God does handle it because Saul gets killed in a battle, right? And that makes David king. But the process is valid reasons don't make good excuses. I mean, when was the last time? You, you want to you talk about something? Let, let's talk about David. David is the youngest. Now, I don't have time to go into everything about this, but he was mistreated by his brothers. Like when he takes food, the Goliath story, when he takes food out there, his brothers get onto him and say, what are you doing here? You're just full of pride and you just want to be a big shot and everything like that. And David's like, dad told me to bring you food, right? But that's when Goliath walks out. And sure enough, he was a center of attention and everything like that. But like, he's the one that had to take care of the sheep, right? I mean, he's the youngest, the least, he's the smallest. The Bible said that he was ruddy faced. I think I'm ruddy faced. So maybe that's why I like David. And so uh, if you want to talk about somebody's life that wasn't fair, in this part of David's life, there was nothing fair about what was being done to David. He did nothing wrong against Saul. He was following God and he continued to honor Saul. But when was the last time you thought that life just wasn't fair? Because you know it had to cross David's mind. Man, this ain't fair. This ain't fair. But see, the problem, and this is what I want you to learn from this part right here is that when life does not seem fair to you, be careful about judging things based off what you think is fair or not. Because let me tell you 
what the problem with that is. The problem with that is that when you start talking about life being fair or unfair, you're usually going to come to the unfair conclusion. And guess who it's going to be directed at? God. You're going to think that God is unfair to you, and that is not true. Bad things happen to good people. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world, and on top of that, God gives every single person free will. Some people, like you, use that free will to worship God, love others, be a good parent, be a good friend, be a good person, and all of this, right? Well, I lost my train of thought. Some people, what? Yeah, some people, that, that's why bad things happen to good people. It's not God doing it. You know, you think, oh, life's unfair. Well, I don't know what to do about any of this, so God must be punishing me somehow because life isn't fair. But listen, life isn't fair. And the problem is when I hear people say life is unfair, and I was like, you know what, you're right, it is unfair. You don't deserve any of the blessings you get. Because remember what Job said? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What's the next line? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Life is not fair. We live in a sinful world. You want to know when it is? You know who else didn't think life was fair? Is the perfect man that swapped places with you so that you could go to heaven. Never made a single mistake, in all, never sinned in all of his life. And, and by the way, don't, a lot of people say, well, Jesus wasn't perfect. He absolutely was perfect. That was the whole point, right? But that means he was without sin because a lot of people are like, well, I bet he fell down when he was learning to walk. Well, yes, of course he did. Okay, I mean, come on, come on. He was a carpenter. He worked. He probably smashed his hand with a hammer. He just didn't say the words that y'all say. Did I say y'all? I meant to say me. I meant to say me. And that's one of my favorite things. I say, hey, anybody can be tough, but I want, to, I want to be there when you get bucked off, right? I want to be there when you get bucked off. So anyway, be careful about getting into what is fair and unfair in your mindset. And the cure for that, David showed you. Trust God. Listen, I heard... Tim Tebow talking one time, and he said this about his missionary sister who nearly died from malaria serving in Africa, I believed, or I believe. And she told him that she never blamed God for nearly dying, even though she was doing such good work, because she knows that God never wastes an ounce of pain. God will never waste an ounce of your pain that you give to him. He will use it as fertilizer to grow you so that you can help others and grow closer to him. He doesn't cause the bad things to happen to you. How do I know that? Because all of his wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And listen, when you start thinking life is unfair, I want you to understand something. God is not mad at you. Whatever you're going through right now, God is not mad at you. He one million gazillion eternities loves you so much that he had one boy and he allowed that son to live a perfect life and then die in your spot. There is no love greater than that right there. God is not mad at you. He loves you with a love 
that is uncomprehensible. And what he wants in return is that. He wants you to love him. He wants you to love him. Be careful about going around with, a, man, that just ain't fair. That person makes more than me. Or, or I, you know, I do this and they have that. Why don't I do this? Why don't I have that? Man, God loves us unconditionally. See, David, think about God's plan and how he says uh, you know, he says to do things, stay away from this, stay away from that, go this way, don't go that way. Not because he's trying to keep you from anything, it's a dead end. And it might lead to your death. So he says, man, just do it this way. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's trying to put us on the path that's not easy, but his burden is light, right? We're the ones that make it hard not God. So the process is valid reasons don't make good excuses for not doing what God told you to do. And especially when you start thinking that life isn't fair. It's not fair. It's not fair some of the things that happens to y'all. Blessings or bad, right? We don't deserve some of the things we get. As a matter of fact, being a Christian is an acknowledgement of that, that we really don't deserve anything, but God in his infinite love and wisdom still gives it to us. It's amazing. See, David was all in with the process that God had laid out. You do what I tell you unconditionally. There's no, there's no valid reasons to, well, it's because of this, it's because of that. No, God says, man, I'm trying to show you you're trying to make it hard. I'm trying to make it simpler, not easy. I'm trying to make it simpler. You want to live a good life? Stay away from this. You want to live a good life? Put your eyes on God and don't worry too much about what everybody else is doing unless you want to help them, right? And then we get to 2 Samuel. That might be 1 Samuel. I don't know. I might, that might be a typo. Chapter, I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 12. The story of David and Bathsheba. Now, if you don't know that story, I'll, I'm going I'm to be quick about it. And hopefully you'll learn something with that story. And it's this. There was David, I mentioned a while ago, that David had his mighty fighting men, his David's mighty men. These were some of the most elite warriors that have ever walked the face of the earth and they followed a man after God's own heart. Like if you go read the stories of uh, Joab and, and maybe not Joab, uh, I'm drawing a blank because they're hard names, but, but those men are absolutely amazing. And one of his men that had left everything to follow David because he was the new anointed king of Israel, was a guy named Uriah. Was a guy named Uriah. He actually was not an Israelite. He was a convert. Okay, the Bible calls him Uriah the Hittite. He was one of David's best soldiers. They fought, bled and died together, right? I mean, not David and Uriah, but they didn't die. But I'm just saying, these were as close to a cowboy crew as you will ever get. Well, during a battle, 
David is getting older and he's fighting another giant like Goliath, okay? And this giant gets the best of David and knocks him down and raises his sword to kill the anointed king of Israel. And David's nephew, who was one of the mighty men, comes in, steps in, and kills the giant. And, they t and his men tell him this, you can't go to battle anymore because we need you more alive. We've got plenty of people to fight and die. We only have one anointed king of Israel. So David stops going on all of these raids, right? In hindsight, might have been a mistake because David is bored. What happens when you get bored? Bad things happen. And they don't have TV. There was no Netflix and chill, right? There wasn't none of that. So David, I think he's walking around, probably in his robe, you know, like, I can't go fight. I don't know what to do. And then he goes out and he finds the Spice Channel. Because when he looks down from his palace that sits on a hill, he saw a lady taking a shower. And he probably should have went, oh, sorry, ma'am, you know, and walked off. But I said, David wasn't perfect. David wasn't perfect. He doesn't know who this woman is. Or at least that's kind of how I think the, the Bible alludes to it. He just saw a woman bathing. And so he sent his attendants and he said, go fetch her. <laughs> She's hot. So they go fetch her and he has relations with her and finds out that she's one of his mighty men's wife. Well, that ain't no good. It's one of his best friend's wife. And as a result of David's immorality, Bathsheba turns up pregnant. Her husband isn't there. What's that gonna do to Bathsheba, right? So David concocts a plan. David concocts a plan and he's like, bring Uriah home <laughs> right now so he can go to his wife, <laughs> right? Pull the wool over God's eyes, right? Of course not. So he brings him home with some other people and Uriah won't go home because his men can't go home. He said, if my men are still out there fighting, he said, I'll be here because you told me to, but I'm gonna sleep in the barracks. I'm not gonna go to my wife and have something and my, and my men can't. So he does this several times and Uriah will not go to his wife and Bathsheba's telling him, hey, I'm pregnant and you're fixing to get me killed. This is a bad deal back in those days. They weren't like today's with all these loose morals and stuff. This was a scandal. So since David's first plan didn't work, you know what his second plan was? He tells his mighty men leaders, the leaders of his army, he said, put your eye on the front line until he's killed. That's what the man after God's own heart did to one of his buddies. And see, I told you, David wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, he's kind of sorry. Kind of sorry in that, in that aspect. Well, I've never been King David and I've never killed a Goliath and I've never done a lot of things, but I ain't had nobody killed when I knocked up their wife, right? This is a bad deal. You know who else? Was that too rank? Look, I would rather just say it like it is, you know? I mean, seriously. But uh, I know I'm going to get crap for that. 
I meant it with all the love in my heart. Um, so, Uriah is killed. And Nathan comes. Nathan is the prophet that takes over for Samuel. And Nathan goes to David and tells him a little story about there was this poor guy and he had one thing to his name, a little lamb. And he loved that little lamb more than life itself. And somebody came and stole that lamb from him. And David's like, that guy ought to die. And Nathan said, you dang right he ought to die because that's what you did to Uriah. You took his little lamb, the only thing that he loved. And so when David's child is born, the Lord says, that baby's not going to live because of what you did. Now, you have to understand something. Did God kill that baby? No, he did not kill that baby. But you know what I believe God did? He lifted the hedge of protection off of that newborn. Because back in the Bronze Age, <laughs> they didn't have Kathy Weber to deliver the baby. Right? They didn't have Kathy Weber to put them in a little incubation or whatever y'all do in there. You know, there wasn't none of that. It, I mean, children died all the time, okay? But God knew that that child was going to die. And so he told David, he said, man, listen, your boy's going to die because of what you did. And so David, man, he falls down to his knees. He dresses himself in sackcloth. And what sackcloth is, it sounds nice. It's not. You know, go find an old toe sack in the middle of a pasture that's under about this much dirt and pull it up, take all your clothes off and put that on. It was itchy. It was scratchy. And then, and then they put ashes on their head. I mean, they just kind of get filthy as repentance. And David prays and he asks for forgiveness. And I mean, while this baby is still alive, and I mean, he's praying over the baby. He's crying out to God. He's probably writing some psalms. And like, he's doing everything that a human being that follows God can do. And guess what happened? Baby died. And then something amazing happens. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, when the baby died, David got up, took a shower, put his robe back on, and got back to work. The day his baby died. That seem crass to you? I mean, it kind of does. I mean, shouldn't you be in mourning or something like that? How are you handling this so well? But David replies, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? And this is the statement right here. This is how we know God trusts the pro or David trusted God's process. He says this, can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. See? The process is when to, when to mourn and when to get back to work. See, David did everything he could while the child was alive. But then after it died, he got up and went to go love on his other kids, on his wives, right? Wives. But how often, so, so the baby's not dead, David's praying and all of that. Right? He's doing everything he can. But how often do we do the opposite of that? And what I mean by that, and we talked about it at our Cowboy Conversations uh, podcast, is like, have you ever made this statement? 
Well, I guess all we can do now is pray. I think we have all said that. You know what God says to that? Maybe that's what you should have been doing from the very start. You know, and it's amazing. I've done it too. You know, stuff will just be piling on and flying everywhere and all of this stuff. And, and I just get mad and blah, blah, blah. And then I think, well, maybe I should have been praying about that first, not after the problem. Right. But David had it in the right order because he trusted the process that God did. See, we don't worry or fast until it's the only thing left when the process says, if you would have been doing that from the start, you might not be in the situation that you're in now. If David would have been praying instead of eyeballing something, you know, things might have been different. See, the next process is that Obedience is better than sacrifice. And we talked about that with Cain and Abel. But obey, obeying God is the process, the main part. Do what he tells you to do. And most of the time, listen to me, when I say do what God tells you to do, I'm not talking about burning bush telling you to do. I'm talking about read the Bible, listen to sermons, do what God tells you to do. Because here's why that obedience, and this is how David, even though he messed up, he was very good at obeying. Obedience is the method, listen to this. Obedience is the method by which our authority in Christ is expanded and how we become the very hands of Christ healing the multitudes. Okay, now what does that mean? I know that that was a little bit fancy, but the Bible says the prayers of a righteous man is what? Powerful and effective. You know what I call that, that sense right there? That is Christ's authority that he gives us. When we obey God, our prayers become powerful and effective, right? Obedience is the method by which our authority in Christ is expanded where our prayers do make a difference. And I'm not saying God doesn't hear our prayers, but man, when you are following God and you're in the groove and you're doing everything right, man, your prayers are even more powerful. And why, don't, why wouldn't we want that, right? So what is he asking us to obey? And this is the end. What is he asking us to obey? Because I'm sitting here saying, you need to obey God. You need to do what he tells you to do. And you're thinking, oh gosh, that seems like legalism or it seems hard or something like that. But listen, what is God asking us to do? He's asking us to love and not hate. He's asking us to worship God and God alone. He's asking us to believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little hint. Did you know that in the Bible, this is what, this is what God says. The only works that God requires of you is to believe in the one that he sent. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Did you see the difference in that? We are not saved by works. We are saved for good works so that we can do good things, so that our authority that God gives us, it's no different than when Jesus gave the disciples authority to go and heal the lame and heal the sick and all of this, right? Our authority comes from obeying God and believing in Jesus. And listen, what else did he ask us to do? He said, don't be scared. 
Don't be afraid. Even when life seems unfair, even when everything seems to be crashing down, even when this and that, man, don't be afraid. See, the process that we've talked about over the past two Sundays is that God is preparing you for mighty works. Your works doesn't save yourself. Of course it doesn't. We, are, we do good works because of the good work that was done for us. God is going to guide you. See, I can look back on my life and see how God was leading me to be giving you this message today. And that process included when I wasn't following God. And if God was leading and guiding me, even when I wasn't actively seeking him, how much more will he lead and guide me when I do? God will guide you. Die every day for God. Yes, God does want to sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice. He wants you to sacrifice your own wants and desires for his wants and desires. He wants you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice every day. There's no room in the process for excuses. Get rid of your excuses, all of them, of why you haven't done this or why you haven't done that. We have five men or four men today and a, and a lady that uh, have quit making excuses. And they said, I want to follow God and I want to do things the way he tells us to do them. There's a time for everything, right? There's a time for everything and obedience is the biggest part of that process. Listen, we have been given liberty. We have the freedom to do whatever we want. God says, I want to give you the desires of your heart within this framework. And if you will obey me, I will give you the desires of your heart. And most of the time, the cool part about the desires of our heart is we don't really know what they are. I loved it. After Willie preached one day, he sent me a, he sent me a text and he said, today I, f I fulfilled a lifelong dream that I didn't know I had. How special is that? How special is that? Trust the process. Obedience is the biggest part of the process. And come back next week and you will hear the story of Jonah like you've never heard it before. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are and I, and I, and I praise you right now for the men and women that are fixing to get up here and be reborn into a new creation. For we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus, and we get to witness a transformation. We get to witness five deaths, five burials, and five resurrections today. God, I pray that everybody will get rid of their excuses and trust your process and lean into you and onto you and let you lead us, hold us, and guide us and love us. And may we do the same to others. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, Jen.